This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Welcome to the Not Lukewarm Podcast with Deanna Bartolini, an author, speaker, and retreat leader who wants you to know your faith and live not lukewarm. Welcome, everyone, to the Not Lukewarm Podcast. I'm Deanna Bartolini, your host, and I have a fun interview in store for you today. I am interviewing Karina Fabian. She is a Catholic, a humorist, and hero support to her husband and fellow authors. She's published over 20 novels and been in a dozen anthologies and has three long-running series in the genres of fantasy, science fiction, and horror. While she'd rather be imagining more trouble for her dragon or starship crew to get into, she spends most of her days writing software reviews for Fit Small Business, Welcome, Karina. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So fantasy, horror, science fiction, how does that fall into the Catholic world? Well, I think that um, it's very uh, Catholic because we are called... um, as a people, it's called sacred imagination. The idea that we can build worlds, we can imagine the impossible because we're made in God's image. And you can't get more world building than when you are creating your own fairy universe or when um, you're imagining our future. And it's also a great venue for showing the possibilities of our faith interacting in science fiction, interacting in the future. Um, That's actually how I got started writing in science fiction on a very serious basis. Um, My husband and I were out on a date and he was, uh, at that time he was in the military and very interested in civilian space, colonizing the solar system, that kind of thing. And I was writing for our diocese magazine, a series about different religious orders. And we're on a date and our usual thing on a date was not to sit around and rehash all the things we always rehash kids and finances, but to make up stories. And we've created this world in which we were colonizing the solar system. And there is an order of nuns who do search and rescue operations in outer space. Uh, It's called Our Lady of the Rescue, uh, which we call it shortened to the rescue sisters. And when I started writing the stories, of course, everyone went nuns in space. And from that came uh, a couple of anthologies, uh, a Christian anthology called Leaps of Faith, then two Catholic anthologies called Infinite Space, Infinite God, one and two. Alas, those are no longer in print. And then I took uh, three of my rescue sisters and put them in a novel where they actually encounter evidence of alien life uh, out in the Kuiper Belt, which is just past Pluto. And that one is called Discovery. That one came out from Full Quiver and... uh, still near and dear to my heart. It's certainly the most Catholic with a capital C and a little trademark symbol kind of thing uh, of of all the books that I've written. And one that I really, really love. I still love those characters. They've not told me another story since then, but someday I hope to have more anthologies with them. But I also have, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, when did you start writing fiction? 
I've been writing fiction forever, but I got serious about 1990. My first sale was 1993, shortly after my firstborn. And then I started writing seriously in 1997 or so. Um, after we came back from Japan, I got out of the military. I had two small toddlers. That's when I also started writing for um, Catholic magazines and things. Uh, it was a way to have adult conversation. <laughs> it's always interesting to me how, how many moms write as a way to engage with adults when they're <laughs> young children. Um, and so why or how did you arrive at this idea of science fiction? And I have... Uh, all my life, I have been uh, a avid reader of science fiction, uh, Trekker, love Star Wars, yeah, Marvel Universe, whole thing. That That's really uh, a central part of who I am. I'm a big, big space geek uh, and fantasy geek. So, I mean, like even our house is decorated with puns, with science fiction tropes from rocket ships to aliens. We've got dragons, we've got medieval weapons. The whole house is just decked out in a 21st century geek. So, and it's just because it's who my husband and I are. And so it's just a, a natural outlet of that. Yeah, so it's, it's, it sounds extremely creative. I mean, I think that all writing, you can be extremely creative in historical fiction and romance. I do love reading all of the other genres, um, be, except literary. I'm not a big fan of literary, uh, but I, I love seeing how people can take a situation and in terms of focus, make it into something that's big and profound. Uh, and with the fantasy and the science fiction, again, that's my realm because that's very comfortable for me. That's where I live, have fun, all of that. And I just adore building the worlds and creating the characters. And the fun thing is, um, and I hope this doesn't sound blasphemous, but it's almost godlike because God created this fabulous universe for us and he created us. But he's not sitting down and saying, okay, you take a left turn here, you take a right turn here. He gave us the free will to move around. Well, when I've created my worlds, I have created the basic world, I have created the basic characters, and then I set them in the situation and I say, all right, now what happens? And I'm a spectator. I, I spend most of my time transcribing, not directing my characters. And so that um, is, it's creative, but it's not like consciously I am creating. And I think that is the joy of writing. And I think it's part of the joy of reading too, because the reader, even though the whole story is laid out, the reader is going to bring their experiences and their ideas and, and their thoughts on faith 
all come into the stories as they're reading, they're going to get something out of it different than what I get into it. And it's always kind of fun to see how people interpret stuff differently. That is always the beauty. When, when I, I love, I love to read. I read constantly um, and both fiction and nonfiction and all sorts of different genres as well. Um, so it is interesting to me when people choose very consciously to add a faith element to their stories. Why, why did you do that? I actually didn't so much. Um, I, 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 when we created the world um, of the Rescue Sisters, that was a conscious decision. <clears throat> and me, and that, um, that whole universe is a result of a very conscious decision. But um, say my dragon eye, universe where I have a Catholic dragon who is living on the wrong side of the interdimensional gap. In other words, our side where there isn't a lot of magic, where he is being treated rather badly because he's a dragon. And nobody knows what to do with him. Plus he's undersized and underpowered and has lost all of his former glory. And I started this story because I wanted to write for an anthology called Firestorm of Dragons. And I needed a new twist on dragons so that I would stand out. And I decided I was going to write a Nor dragon who was a detective. And one of the tropes of Nor is that your main character has to have something in his past that he's very, very bitter about. Well, what can a dragon be more bitter about than a very bad experience with St. George? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, and, and from there... St. George brought him low and I mean, he lost his size, he lost his magic, he lost his fire, he lost everything. Well, George isn't going to leave him like that. He's a saint. So he picks him up and he takes him to the church who takes care of him. And then the church says, well, you know, you want to get all of this stuff back. Be with us, follow us, follow God through our direction and God's going to give it all back. So he's slowly trying to earn back all of his dragon glory. And at first, that's all it was. Um, but then uh, a fellow, um, I'm part of the Catholic Writers Guild, and fellow guild member, Regina Doman, who used to have a publishing press, uh, asked me, or challenged me rather, to come up with the origin story about how all of this happened and why all of this happened and what was the real reason for Vern being under the direction of the church. It was just a trope to me at that point. I, I did it because it was fun and it was kind of funny. And every now and then I could have um, the fairy bishop come in and knock Vern down to size. And, and then I gave him a partner who's a, a magic slinging nun. And, but I, that's all it was. And so I had to sit down and do some real thinking and realize that there is a grand plan for Vern. And I basically rebooted the whole series based on this rethinking. And the new book that starts the series is called Murder Most Picante. And then the next one is kind of a left turn because it was supposed to be the origin story and I couldn't make it work. So I made it a, a lark instead. And that one's called If Wishes Were Dragons. But that one gets very much into Vern's past and why he is um, brought down so low and what the real purpose of St. George attacking him was. Because in my universe, dragons are not bad. 
Dragons are actually an eighth day creation created by God to inspire the world to awe and glory and from there to God himself. And so they were almost def mega defenders of the faith. So I had to, to think about why that had changed and what happened and what that meant for Vern. And it's, it's made the whole universe and the whole series a whole lot richer. And I'm actually going back and rewriting old stories based on that. It's fascinating to, to listen to you describe, so the dragon, Vern, what happened to him um, and how you had to you know, create this backstory, right? And it sounds like without having read the whole, I've read a little bit about Vern, um, but I have not read the whole series. And so it sounds as if there's that idea that's so prevalent in our faith of redemption, right? So there's a fall. And then how do we get back with God? Mm -hmm. How does, how is that, how does that happen? Um, and so the dragon, Vern is working toward all of that. It sounds like in some ways. Yes. And, and that was the thing, that was the thing that was kind of missing from the earlier versions and that I, I will be forever grateful to um, Regina for challenging me to do this because it wasn't just Vern's fall and Vern's struggle. It is the, the fall and the struggle of all dragon kind and of what is happening in the fairy world itself. And so um, and it's about how he's going to be leading the way. And so through this series, he's all alone as far as others of his kind. And he's got to deal with all of his struggles and remembering who he used to be and not quite being able to reach that anymore. And so, yeah, I, I, I may, I'm making it sound so deep. <laughs> And really, it's not. I, I, when I write, I don't write all these deep things until, you know, you start thinking about it and you're like, ooh, you know, there is that thing. And, and people tell me that and I never see it until after the fact. And I think that comes from the fact, again, that I don't consciously try to push my characters into these things. I will stick the situations in front of them. Uh, there's, there's the saying that if you're a writer, your job is to um, set mad dogs after your character, chase them up the tree, cut the branch part way, and then stand back and throw rocks at them. And that's, that is my end goal <laughs> as a writer, is to have mad dogs at the feet, the branch is breaking, their tree is set on fire, and I'm pelting him with rocks. And from there, the characters just take it, and then they, they surprise me too sometimes. They'll, they'll say and do things and I'll just be like, wow, that's so much. Um, in, my, in my Space Trape series, I have a quote that I put on, on my blackboard and I, I don't know where this came from, um, but some friends of mine were talking about um, Kairos versus Kronos, the two, two ways of looking at time. Um, Greeks actually have two words. Kronos is for calendar type time. Kairos is for experiential time. And we were talking a little bit about the differences in that. And my character, um, in my space trapes universe, which is Star Trek parody, 
I didn't intend for him to be Catholic, but it just kind of popped up and I, I'm like fine with it. it. It's a very light treatment, but he's going to be stuck in this. Um, basically, I'm doing the Groundhog Day episode with uh, Q. If you remember Q from Star Trek, he puts them in a situation where they're stuck in Groundhog Day and he's stuck too. But um, Todd realizes that the reason they are able to know that they're in the Groundhog Day is because they're in Karos. And he explains to the, um, the crew, Kronos is why we live and die. Karos is why we grow and love. And that is all taught. That did not come out of my head. I didn't think that up. He just told it to me. And it is the most beautiful thing when my characters um, can do that for me. I think you, you bring up an important, an important point that in fiction, we can still learn about truth. You know, mm -hmm. we, we see, we can see ourselves in the characters we see the issues of the world and in, in, in the situations that they're in. So all of those things, that's why I, I love, I absolutely love fiction. Um, the thought of writing fiction scares the living daylights out of me, um, not something. And just listening to you talk about how you put your characters there and you wait and see what's going to happen. I'm thinking, Wow, that's just that's just very amazing. Like I think your mind works in that way, which is just fascinating to me. It re it really is. Um, anyone who writes fiction, um, you know, and and even though you're talking about you know like a Star Trek parody and nuns in space and dragons, I can see how it's still you can still extrapolate the truths for for us today. You know, for people, how how do we live? How do we act? Um, oh yeah, and and um, speculative fiction is a fabulous platform for that, whether consciously or unconsciously doing that, because you can put it in an alien situation, put it with alien characters, or far in the future, or in an alternate universe, or whatever, and you can show consequences. You can um, expound on different philosophies. You can explore the dark side and the consequences thereof. And if you do it right, because there's a lot of preachy fiction out there, but if you do it right, people read it and they get it in a way that they won't get if they were reading, say, a treatise on the same kind of concept. Um, you know, and, and that was one of the reasons that Star Trek still endures is because they handled those situations so well because they handled them in the context of story. Now there were exceptions uh, where they were heavy handed at it and there's, and, and I think a lot of um, current television is getting more about, oh, hey, let's take this episode and prove a point. And you can tell, but when you do it well, when it becomes part of the story, when it is organic and the characters are living it, people read along, they find that character that they are identifying and they experience with the character. And so, you know, one of the things that you were talking about why it comes easy is because 
I experience with the characters and, and I do just, I, I write what they're experiencing, which um, I don't know if anybody who's reading my works has noticed, I'm really good at the feelings and the dialogue and the action. But if I need to describe a room, that takes me forever. I, I actually can stall for days because I need one paragraph where Vern walks into a room and takes note of things. <laughs> like, what do I do? What do I say? <laughs> I often skip those room descriptions just as an FYI, if that I matters do to you. <laughs> I do too, which is why I'm so bad at it. <laughs> so I, I tend to be minimalist there. I figure, you know, you'll figure, you guys will know. As long as I can get the important things, you know, if he has to notice the pit trap, then, you know, you got to notice the pit trap. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, like there's a room, it has books in it and a couch. I'm good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and a pit trap. Well, this is integral to the story. But anyhow, um, all right, let's, you recently, started a publishing company? Yes. Um, it's not so much a publishing company. It's just that I decided to go LLC with my self-publishing. Okay. And I named it Laser Cow Press. I love your based... logo. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, and Ann Lewis, a fellow guild member, came up with the concept, which was just freaking adorable. And then my... Um, my second born, who is uh, an artist, has, took it and actually drew it out and gave it real personality. So, so, yeah, so it's, your books are going to come out of there from now on. Yeah, yeah, they mm -hmm. they already did. Oh, okay. Unofficially, I mean, I called it Laser Cow Press, but it was just kind of quiet, and I didn't bother to make it official or anything. And then this year, I was like, okay, I better do it. <laughs> so, pulled the trigger. Uh, and the idea for Laser Cow Press it actually came from this whole idea of descriptions. You know, there's the bookcase and the couch, and I'm good. Uh, because uh, a friend of mine who was editing um, was we were at a conference together and just talking and she she's a professional editor of fiction. She was feeling very frustrated because she had a client who was just doing these long descriptions of things. And she's like, it's a field of cows. Why do I need to know so much about this field of cows? Just like, if you're gonna describe the cows, they need to be doing something interesting. And I said, yeah, like having laser beams on their heads. And that, that was it, that I had to have cows with laser beams on their heads. Oh. <laughs> Not that I spend a lot of time with cows, but I've never seen them do anything interesting in a field. <laughs> <laughs> like when you're driving on country roads and you see a field of cows, they're just sort of chomping on the grass. Yeah, um, although when I was in Rhode Island, we did see interesting cows. They're called Oreo cows because they are black, on the front and the middle, and they actually have a large white stripe in the middle. Interesting. And where was yeah. this? In Rhode Island. In Rhode Island. Okay. Yes. So there are interesting cows out there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, in, in Florida. Course, all you got to do is say Oreo cow. And yeah, that's it. You don't need two pages to describe an Oreo cow. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's, that's true. <laughs> So uh, I had one question. It just left my brain. Oh, no. Oh, I'm um, sorry. 
Oh, your uh, your website where people can go to find out about all this speculative fiction and this fantasy, which I um, I've decided that I'm going to be taking some of these on my vacation because my vacation is at the beach this summer. Ooh, yeah. um, so I'm going to definitely need to get my hands on some of these for to, to have fun, relax. Where can we find all your good stuff? Uh, fabianspace.com f-a-b-i-a-n-s-p-a-c-e.com all right and i will of course drop links uh to that in the show notes um and really i i think it's amazing again I, i have said this fiction is for me a great way to connect and and just to really see the truths of the world, but from a different perspective, you know, and to really try to go outside of yourself a little bit, you know, and, and go someplace new. Um, I suppose there are people who are just readers and people who are not readers. And I would say that we're readers. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, (laughs) you know, it's always fun to learn about new types of books and read different things and, not to lock yourself in. So I think what I'd like to challenge my listeners to for, for this week, or maybe when you're on your summer vacation, because I'm certainly going to do this while I'm on my summer vacation, is pick up some books you don't normally or usually read. And, um, you know, if you usually read fiction, pick up some nonfiction. If you only read nonfiction, pick up fiction. If it's historical romance, pick up a space fantasy trilogy, you know? Pick something different. Definitely look into um, this, the work of Karina's. It's fun. It's really fun. I've read a, a bunch of her short stories and they are, they really make you have a different perspective in terms of your imagination. Um, and I think it's always good for your brain to stretch a little bit, you know, um, and look at things in a different way, which certainly I think your, your work does. But <laughs> But different, I, I, not I, I, like different in a very good way, in a positive way, not in an edgy, in your face or, you know, disturbing way. Yeah. And, and I'd add to that, um, especially after the last year or so that we've had um, and bragging, totally bragging here, but my stuff is great for a vacation of the mind. You're going to laugh. Um, I do have some serious fiction, but uh, most of my stuff is laugh out loud. If you have a Kindle, do not drink while you're reading it, <laughs> alcohol or otherwise, because you'll be snorting it out your nose. Um, <laughs> and I, and this, is, this is from reviews. It's like, I, I'm sorry, I did the spit take right at that moment kind of thing. Um, but I do want to say that if fantasy, science fiction, comedic horror is not your thing go to catholicwritersguild.org and slash seal dash approval and you're going to find a list of books that have been vetted for quality and catholic content in both fiction and nonfiction. a lot of great titles there yeah and i think that's great because that means you can read the book from cover to cover not have to skip any pages um and worry about what you're putting into your mind. Um, Mm -hmm. But like Karina says, it's not all super serious. I 
laughing out loud is very good. Uh, it's very good yes. for you mentally, emotionally, physically, and especially as she said, in this, we've had quite a year, many of us, uh, with this, you know, global pandemic. And a good laugh would probably go a long way in helping us all feel a little more like life is normal. So mm-hmm. I encourage you to check out KarinaSpace.com at Fabian Space. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. Fabian Space. I'll drop that all in the show notes. And then also the Catholic Writers Guild Seal of Approval books. I will put that link in the show notes as well um, for you to check out and take a look uh, when you need to laugh or when you just want to, not all the books are funny, um, but when you need something different and want to be able to take something of interest uh, to the beach, to the mountains, to your bedroom, when you lock the door, wherever it is you go to have your quiet time and, and read. So Karina, any, anything the else? Bathroom. Wanna, the bathroom. <laughs> I was going to say the bathroom. Then I didn't want to oh, the bathroom. I go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there have been studies about the type of people who read in the bathroom. Apparently they have the highest IQs. <laughs> Along with messy desks, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> so, any 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 wisdom you want to leave us with, Karina? Um, no matter what, there's hope, and where there is hope, there is room for optimism. And one way to find that road to optimism is to find the humor and to laugh. So don't be afraid to find the laugh. Love it. Don't be afraid to find the laugh. I'm going to leave you with that until next week. I hope you all continue to live not lukewarm and I'll see you at our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Not Lukewarm Podcast, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or tell a friend or leave a review. You can find all show notes and links on notlukewarmpodcast.com. That's also where you can find links to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. If you have a topic that you'd like to learn more about or want to tell me how the Not Lukewarm Challenge went this week, please send me an email at Bartolini at mediaangels.com.